0: There is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone.
1: Our ability to work together, that's our greatest strength. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Strange New World podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is...
2: I'm going to lower my voice and say, this is Red Shirt Dave, and today we'll be discussing episode one of season one of Star Trek Strain New World. Well, what did you think of the premiere? Well, it was fun. So yes. fun. <laughs> so many callbacks. Uh, anyone who's in your range from here, I, you know, I will try to school them on the original and the menagerie and the cage and everything to do with the original Christopher Pike. Right. And this—that's when they run in the opposite direction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but if you're a trekker, even a trekkee, it is so fun, and there's so much to learn and know. So this is part of the uh, deep mythology of Star Trek, and 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 thank goodness they even had Robert April on the show. Yes. Oh, be still, my beating. Yes.
1: Green blooded heart. (laughs) We've never seen him except on the animated series.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, yes, that was amazing.
2: Fascinating.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we can't help but mention Captain Battelle.
2: (laughs) Oh, wow. I know.
1: That was a shock of all shocks, and I immediately (laughs) tweeted out. All oh, right, yeah. I want to spin off right now with Captain Batel. Yeah, I saw that. I <laughs> saw that. She looked real good in a Starfleet uniform. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see her revolver. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> her phaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was a really fun episode. And did you have any idea?
2: That actress was going to show up on here?
1: No, I had no uh, no clue Melanie Scarfano was going to play Captain Patel on yeah. Patel this. It, it, raise it, your hand out there if you
2: knew who Melanie is. Yeah, you better. <laughs>
1: you'd better. If you've listened to any of our podcasts,
2: you know. <laughs> yeah. Wyona. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wasn't surprised. Yes, it was. Do you have any idea? Do you know she was going to be on the show? No, I had no wow. clue. Yeah. Wow. That's... <laughs> bonus baby yes it
1: was absolutely it was i'm going to love nurse chapel though she is going to be awesome i know you and i mean everybody on that crew seems like they're gonna have some really nice stuff to do. (laughs) Yeah,
2: like Ortegas. (laughs) Yes, I love Ortegas. (laughs) Even Cadet
1: O'Hara.
2: She takes the captain's chair, why me? Yeah,
1: (laughs) why (laughs) does it always (laughs) happen to me when I'm
2: in the captain's chair? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. You know, uh, watching the original uh, Menagerie and the Cage, which inspired all this, and we just got a glimpse of in Discovery, and which they hinted on in this show, too. Yes, absolutely. Thank God they did. Uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was gonna say, but I'm so excited I can't think what I was about to say. <laughs> I'm well, just glad it brought all these elements back together. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's a lot to do, and sometimes it can be like overstuffing. Right. Like okay, yes. you'd be like, go ahead, come on, but no, they never overstuffed it. No. Nope. In this episode, they just brought it on. Uh, Delicately and organically. And I'm glad they did because it can be so obnoxious when they just push it in your face. Right. I don't see that Marvel is guilty of that, but sometimes they are. Yes, they are. Sometimes they're good. Yeah. A couple of times they're like, yeah, we get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into this episode. All right. So, Steve. Uh, have any initial thoughts on this episode? I know I do. Oh yeah, I gave you mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, too bad Sean isn't here. But, I know. Uh, I'll I'll do her a bit for her. Episode one: Strange New Worlds. Christopher Pike comes out of self-imposed exile to rescue an officer gone missing during a secret mission. That's you know that's the only thing I had a problem with in this episode. Like, where's number one? I'm like. She's, what is it, like two-thirds or three-quarters of the episode we finally get to see Una? Right, name. yes. One. <laughs> Played originally by uh, Majel Roddenberry, who later on became Nurse Chapel's, Like, my mind is exploding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into this several All right. After, uh, several <laughs> months after the showdown with Control that sent USS Discovery into the 32nd century. The events continued to weigh heavily on the bearded Captain Pike, remains uncertain about his future in Starfleet. Yeah, he looked a little crappy, you know, like... Uh, right, yeah, like he didn't really care. <laughs> yeah, he didn't care, like, uh, I, I don't mind living in the bottom of a dumpster. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that keeps him out of there is his horse, I think. Yeah. Well, it definitely
1: looked like he had a nice place there in Montana, so... Yeah.
2: Um got uh, uh, the way he's haunted, I know, skipping ahead. The way he's haunted about his future is so, uh, so, yeah, it's great. Who doesn't want to be haunted about their future? <laughs> but we all, we all know the story. If you're a Trekker, we all know the story about Christopher Pike. And it's like, it's not good. <laughs> right. Yes. It doesn't <laughs> <it's>, end well. <laughs> you no, know, it doesn't end well at all. So that's what makes this story so fascinating. So, Spock. Also misses his sister, Michael, but a marriage proposal from three out of point, three out of half of up <laughs> to prings will go on to be a subject of a sign officer's reflection across the episode. Amok time and some Vulcan romance to distract them. Boy, a mock time was so, so stringent. Yes. Completely uh, different take on to bring. Totally which... take on it. They get <laughs> tossed out of a restaurant because they're kissing. Yeah. Can you not, can you not do that here? <laughs> That must be one of those strict restaurants No kissing, no smoking Right Well, So yeah. we have a live, what's that? Of course it's
1: Vulcan, what do you expect? Oh, that's right oh, <laughs> No affection bang. is allowed
2: publicly That's for darn sure Well, there must be something we don't know about In this new vision Right <laughs> I mean, the movie, the movie version of Star Trek is What is the timeline called? What, the Kelvin? Yes, yes. Well that's not this. No! <laughs> that's not this at all. Nope. So, uh, keep that in your heads, everyone. So, a live-action debut. We finally get to meet Robert April, played by Adrian Holmes, who was the Enterprise's first captain and Pike's predecessor. So deep. So he, um, I don't know for sure, was he the first captain of the Enterprise? Does anyone yes. know? Yes. Wow. The very so first was there. captain. Wow is there for launching. Now an admiral, April convinces Pike to grab the center seat again by informing him that number one has gone missing on a first contact mission to Kylie-279. So is that after Richard Kylie, the actor? Or or, (laughs) or, or, or the Kylie? Kylie XY. (laughs) Used to play the organ at the old Boston Garden. (laughs) A quick ride aboard the shuttlecraft Stamets, because Paul Stamets perished in the fight against control, of course. And Pike is back aboard the his repaired and upgraded starship, nice and shiny. I he questioned himself when they is it's odd, you know. They usually they're usually the big love scene when you get to see the uh, Enterprise, and you're like, you have to caress it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, wasn't this wasn't it.
1: as and bad as
2: the no no movie flyover that took half yeah. of the movie, <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was uh it seemed darker too. They the uh hole plating, you know. Right. You could see every square on it and it was in the lighting on it was darker in the other, in the movies, and other ones they have like spotlights on it, you know, right. yes. like Marilyn Monroe. Yes. I don't mind Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> no. <laughs> this was kinda cool too. Yep. So Pike or, Pike's arrival co- coincides with the introduction to security chief and acting first officer La'an Noonien Singh, played by Christina Chong. This character's name was intrigued by Trek fans communication cadet Nyota Ohura, Cecilia Rose Gooding, and pilot lieutenant Erica Ortegas Melissa Navia, early favorite of mine. Yes. Because <laughs> I know I feel her pain. The yeah. <laughs> must, have, must be leaving before taking aboard the new chief engineer, and someone named Lieutenant Kirk. Fascinating. (laughs) In a private chat, Pike reveals to Spock that he saw a vision of his horrible training accident that will severely injure him when he visited the Klingon planet Borath during the search of the time crystal in Discovery Season 2. I have to go back and study that, too. Right. Because uh, that's Talos 4. Yep. And on Talos 4, we get to see them in that season two. And there are hints of him going back there to become a whole again. Spoiler alert. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to have to revisit that too. Uh, good thing I have a week of non-TV viewing. But, yes. Upon <laughs> uh, arriving at Kylie 279, the Enterprise finds the USS Archer abandoned but intact. The local space gave no sign that the planet has achieved even rudimentary space flight uh oh yeah, the, yeah, the population had even created warp drive it has created a warp bomb I was a little uh surprised that uh spot called it a bomb instead of a device it's right, yes <laughs> in sick Bay we are welcomed to cheerful Dr. Mbenga, Babs Os <laughs> and energetic civilian nurse Christine Chapel, Jess Bush to the show. Dressed all in glorious white. Yes. Chapel's civilian status cleverly explains why she will later choose to officially sign on with Starfleet in the episode of What a Little Girl's Made Of. Oh my god, they're really pulling on my heartstrings. Yes. <laughs> As fate would have it, Chapel pioneers the genetic manipulation technique that Starfleet so often used in the next generation era to blend in with pre warp societies and infiltrate enemy encamped and think of Captain Cisco's tenure as a Klingon in *Apocalypse Rising*. The transporter also has a nifty feature: it can change a landing party member's clothes and outfit with them, them with equipment uh, during the beam down. I'm going to read that again. <laughs> the transporter also has a nifty feature: it can change a landing party member's clothes and outfit them with equipment during a beam down. Yeah, that why was not? pretty sweet. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that's what mine does. <laughs> Pike, Spock, and Noonien Singh arrive on a divided planet with two warring factions that seek to wipe each other out. Despite some obstacles, the trio make their way into a secure facility and rescue Number One and her two cohorts. Unfortunately, Una informs Pike that their battle with control took place to close this planet, that allowed them to study and reverse engineer warp technology. <laughs> I don't. Know if, I don't know if it's a retro. That's a, or a retcon. Nobody knew of these people before, but I suppose if you do something that big in space, someone's going to see it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a huge battle, and then
1: opening that wormhole. (laughs) Yeah, anything
2: within 20 or 30 light years had to see that. (laughs) I guess to see some little kid with a telescope. Hey, Dad, look at this. This, Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) To correct the unintentional influence, the captain made the bold decision to reveal his crew's alien origins and the presence of the Enterprise to the locals.
1: In true Trek style, the episode addresses the current societal divides on 21st century Earth by showcasing them through the lens of 23rd century Kylie 279. Yeah, yay us. Yes, Pike explains that the United States went underwent a second civil war and the eugenics war. Conflicts that led to Earth's catastrophic World War III. Complete with archival images, Pike's presentation convinces, convinces the local factions to make peace and turn their eyes towards the
2: stars. You know, Steve, that's all well and good. I mean, I, I love that succinct description of history about this Second Civil War eugenics and World War III, but how the heck did they climb out of that? Right. <laughs> well, we don't know. Do we know anything about that? No, I not yet. <laughs> refer, in the movie First Contact, they're like dressed in rags. Yep. Yet, yeah, yet, yet they're building warp technology.
1: How? Yeah. Uh, revelations continue to come at us at light speed. Laan has a history with the Gorn. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. Oh flashback. yes, really. <laughs> As an ensign, number one was involved in Laon's rescue. Chief Kyle beams aboard the Anir Engineer Hemmer, played by Bruce Horak, and a Lieutenant Samuel Kirk, Dean Genati, complete with an epic mustache, it's <laughs> corpse-spotted, sported in the TOS episode Operation Annihilate. That was so weird. Hey, yes. Jim <laughs> Kirk, why are you wearing a mustache? <laughs> <laughs> the addition of James T. Kirk's brother to the crew is a splendid surprise, particularly as he will be Spock's subordinate. <laughs> that
2: should be interesting. I wonder where that's going to go.
1: Yes. <laughs> I think that may prepare Spock for his older brother. What do you think? <laughs> Younger brother? Mm, probably. Whichever. Yes, Strange New Worlds addresses the aftermath of Control's defeat while setting a new course for Captain Pike and the Enterprise in marvelous fac- fashion. Mm-hmm. The episodic nature stands in contrast to Discovery and Picard, but there are clearly ongoing threads Pike's trauma, Spock's romance, Nunyon Singh's past that producers will continue to pull on during the show's voy- voyage. From a Jonathan Archer reference to memorable guest appearances from Melanie Scarfano, G.S. Sandu, Andre D. Kim, and Wrong Food, the premier exec expertly weaves strange new worlds into the tapestry of the 23rd century. Yet it also sets out to forge its own path in this time period. As we wait, Await the Enterprise next adventure. There's only one thing to say hit it. Hit it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I had to show, I have to tell my wife upon the third viewing, she goes, Hit it. And I'm like, You know, it's like, Engage. Right. <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> yeah, boy, three people aboard the Archer? Yeah. How did they <laughs> get away with that?
1: What a. Lot of- Autopiloting—that's for sure.
2: Wow! I don't know. I, I wonder if we're going to learn any more about that. I, yeah, I the- have a dou- I kinda doubt. I kind of doubt it. Do you? Yeah. Well, let's see. April said uh, she doesn't like sitting still. What? Yes. Like you in a slight like, dig? Yes, to, it was.
1: Pike. Yeah, because <laughs> he basically mentions you weren't that way
2: when you were my number one. Yeah. Oh, can't wait for that series. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> They would never. That would be awesome, though. Yes. The, the Robert April series. What would they call that? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot to discuss, and we have a lot of Easter eggs. Oh, Paris. good lord, yes. Good, good lord. Uh, <laughs> so, let's talk. Let's start out with uh, some uh, mathematical probabilities. The opening voiceover from number one, Una, later revealed to be part of her log entry, mentioned the mathematical probabilities relative to whether... Or not? There's life on other planets. Yeah, there is. <laughs> it seems to reference a wonderful speech from Doctor McCoy in the TOS episode "Balance of Terror," in which he says, "In this galaxy, there are mathematical probabilities of three million Earth-type planets." Yeah, where are they? Yes, <laughs> we're all alone. Come on, Vulcans. Oh, I, that was one of the great comic moments early on there. Yes, the the uh, Vulcans in- invented. First contact. Yes, <laughs> and Pike is like, as you keep reminding us. Yes. I <laughs> roll. So, it, all in all, in the universe, three million galaxies like this, and all in all, that perhaps only one to teach of us. Wow, it's classified. Yeah, I like this. The classified stuff. Yes, it's the secret. Throughout the episode, Pike and Number One both mentioned events as classified. As Una made clear towards the end of the episode, they are talking about the ending of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, in which the crews of both Enterprise and Discovery fought the evil AI known as Control, and Discovery opened the time part of wormhole into the future. Presumably, even April doesn't know about this. He doesn't. Though so by the end of the episode, he does. Yes. <laughs>
1: He's an admiral. Uh, yeah, he Yeah. The, uh- yeah. Used it's his not power what, to <laughs> classified you know, that. Yeah, it's
2: not what you know; it's who you know exactly. <laughs> so, the day the Earth stood still. I hope everybody got a little chill or a thrill uh, in your heart when you saw this 1950s yes. classic. Pike is watching the 1951 science fiction film "The Day the Earth Stood Still," which apparently he watches a lot, referring to as a classic. Yep, this. Easter egg is interesting in several ways. First, The Day of the Earth Stood Still was directed by Robert Wise, famous to cinephiles as the person who directed The Sound of Music, West Side Story, but more famous to the Trekkies as the director of Star Trek, the motion picture in 1979. Man, that's a resume.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> if you're a cinephile, uh, Robert Wise is near and dear to your heart. Yes. How can the director of the motion picture exist as a real person in the re- in Star Trek timeline? Well, in Star Trek Picard Season 2, we learn Rick and Morty exist in the Trek timeline, <laughs> which suggests that Star Trek Lord Jess creator Mike McLaughlin has also exists in the backstory. Somehow, what? <laughs> <laughs> there are several more examples of this kind of metafictional out in Trek. The most famous is probably the fact that starting with the uh, Star Trek, the motion picture, and prominently demonstrated in Enterprise's opening credits The Star Trek Timeline has had a NASA... Uh, NASA? Did I just really say that? Yeah. NASA? NASA's Space Shuttle named Enterprise. Oh, I remember that. Yep. I remember that. Oh, uh, they like... Enterprise, everyone's like,
0: yes.
2: <laughs> in our universe, the Space Shuttle was only named Enterprise because Trekkies mounted a letter-writing campaign. Power to us. So, yes. the Star Trek, the fictional art, exists when Star Trek, the fictional universe? Pike watching The Day the Earth Stood Still seems to be the latest evidence that the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just thing he wasn't watching War of the Worlds then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Day the Earth Stood Still thing is even more layered than that. The entire plot of the movie is kind of anti-Prime Directive story. They didn't even call it the Prime Directive then. No. Catch up, people. Instead of avoiding contact with less developed culture, Klaatu arrives on Earth to directly interfere. He's intent on stopping us from destroying, being destroyed by a nuclear war. The exact thing parallels exactly what Pike is doing later in the episode. Oh, what a great movie that was. And it had Gort in it. I I don't, I want a Gort. Yeah. (laughs) Only because the people that give me a hard time, I just, you know, hey, Gort, open your eye and zap them. Yes. Yes, master. (laughs) So not answering the communicator. Pike ignoring his... (laughs) Did you find that word that she called it uh, you're not answering your phone? Yes! <laughs> Why did she say that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Pike ignoring his communicator and then getting, well maybe no, I can't picture no one uh, not answering her call, so. Oh no. <laughs> no, no one it's seen alien to her. Yep. And then getting directly confronted by a Starfleet officer in the shuttlecraft references Star Trek V: The Final Frontier. In that film, Kirk just Straight Up doesn't take his communicator with him on a camping trip, which results in Uhura flying a shuttle down to Yosemite National Park to pick him up as well as Spock and Bones. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Robert April is the first captain of the USS Enterprise. Oh, God. I, I, this is the stuff you like candles to? Yes. Adrian Holmes makes his debut as the first live-action actor to play Robert April as Starfleet hero with an odd history of quasi- Yep. <laughs> uh did you did you see the pushback on Twitter, etc. out there? No, I didn't. Oh, so obnoxious, so obnoxious. Robert April is in black. He's white. I'm like, really? Who cares? Right. Who cares? Well You know, I'm gonna end it there because, because. Yeah, it's not even worth talking about. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. The name Robert April was one of Roddenberry's earliest ideas of the primary hero of Star Trek, which became later, became Pike, and then, of course, Kirk. For several years, including the early version of Star Trek Encyclopedia, a photograph of Roddenberry himself, seemingly wearing a Starfleet uniform, was the Robert April. Additionally, the quasi-canon animated series episode "The Counterclock Incident" presented a fairly gen- generic Robert April, voiced by James Doohan, <laughs> duh, who looked kind of. Like a knock-up in the animated series. Yeah, Kirk. just an older and, uh, <laughs> Kirk. Yeah, this episode also floated the weird idea that the Enterprise 1701 was the first ship equipped with warp drive, which obviously makes no sense. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, April's, can us, Steve, I can't read that word. Canocity. <laughs> Canocity, wow, what? So every <laughs> yeah, time I... Every, I every we time all
1: have our words that just... You can't get him out.
2: <laughs> I'll never be able to say Canosity again. You're going to have to fill it for me. It was pretty much after, up for the debate for a very long time until one moment in Star Trek Discovery Season 1 in the episode Choose Your Pain when Saru research noted Starfleet captains. On that list, Pike, Giorgio Archer, and wait for it, Robert April. From there, in Discovery Season Two, Pike's service record also indicated that he was April's first officer on of Enterprise. Where is that series, Steve? Where is Yes, that <laughs> pile on. You know what? That's probably a pretty good idea. Yeah, <laughs> this is a quick Easter egg from Discovery Season Two, in the episode "Brother." But Strange World takes the idea that Pike was April's first officer as a given. This is why April says to Pike, "Your first officer doesn't do downtime well." Mine used to be a lot more like that. By mine, he means bike. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, he saw his future. Yeah. And that's something that's hard to get your well,
1: uh, head around. That's for damn sure.
2: You know, we did a podcast on um, Moon Knight. Yes. And in Moon Knight, there's a lot of mirror references, too. And so, in this episode, there's a lot of reflection mirror. Um, yes, that Pike goes through. Yes, yeah. oh seeing his future. Yeah, in Moon Knight it was better. This is downright painful. Yes, this is painful. <laughs> Ouch! Including the audio is like, uh, yeah. Stop! Stop, <laughs> stop already! Yeah, please. Yeah, maybe we'll go to a lighter moment and discuss Spock's engagement. Some fans might find Spock's engagement too horny to pring. Violation <laughs> 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 of kin. But the truth is, several classic T.O.S. writers, original series, including Dorothy Fontana's novel Vulcan Glory. Wow, wasn't that the name of the X-rated movie? Created <laughs> <laughs> scenarios in which Spock and Topring mid prior to the events of Amok Time. Strange New Worlds takes place in roughly 2258 or 2259, while well, the events of a Muck Time, in which Topring aspires to have Spock fight Kurt to the death, happen in 2267. This means Spock and T'Pring have a very long engagement. <laughs> uh, no, no wonder I'm, she's pissed. Yeah. Not going to this face. time because she said, I will not wait for you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, she did long enough, and then she took it out on him. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> Pike is uh, reading a report about the Gorn. Oh, boy. Here we go. Briefly, as Pike is taking the shuttle up to the Enterprise, we see his data pad. These words the first contact report species unconfirmed Gorn. At this point in canon, the Federation really know much about the Gorn. However, in Discovery Season Two, Leland and Pike spoke about Setus Three, in which the, the original series is where the Gorn attacked the beginning, at the of uh, the episode Arena. Interestingly, in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine era, there is a city on Setus Three called Pike City. We, uh, the team got a baseball team.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I kind of liked but didn't like the references to baseball. Right. It's, it's bad enough as it is now. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but at least it still exists. So, let's get on to the shovelcraft Stamets. Pike is apparently flying aboard the shuttle called the Stamets. This is a clear reference to Paul Stamets from Discovery. However, as far as the vast majority of the Starfleet is concerned, Paul Stamets died when the Discovery exploded. So, this shuttle was named in honor of him, but of course, Pike knows that Stamets didn't really die, and is, as far as Pike knows, hopefully living a good life in the 32nd century, <laughs> which is mostly true. Yeah. So, where was the
1: sh- shuttle Burnham? Uh, or, yeah. there sh- or a USS Burnham,
2: for that matter. <laughs> USS Red Angel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Why Stamets? Both people yeah <laughs> he's an interesting character he really oh, is yeah he, he comes and goes on discovery he has his big moments and then they let him alone and like he, he's pretty crucial yes he is the, the, the things that go on so you know he needs his moments so pike's approach to the enterprise references star trek the motion picture remember that love scene speaking of x-ray the movie yes <laughs> From the sign of the space dock to the Camera angles, the reflection of the Enterprise in the window of the shuttlecraft. Nearly everything about Pike flying up to the Enterprise feels evocative of the similar scene in Star Trek, the motion picture, when Kirk and Scotty famously fly up and around the Enterprise for a very long <laughs> time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, the Archer had one <clears throat> nacelle. Yes. <laughs> this one had two. No wonder they stared at it for so long. <laughs> This scene is much shorter than the Star Trek demo picture. And notably, Pike doesn't take the shuttle all the way in. He beams aboard once they're close enough. Wow. what you think of that, Steve? I liked it. I thought that was a why much not? better way. Why Yes. Not? Why not? You've got why the technology to use for. it. Undiscovered, they have doors that they steer use. These guys, are like, why would I take a shuttle? Yes. <laughs> the ship when I could beam aboard. That poor, I don't know if she was an ensign or not. Right. She's like, He's like, whatever, and she's like, sir, just be me aboard. Yes. Yikes. So let's go to Chief Kyle. The transporter Chief in Strange New World is called Chief Kyle, played by Andre Day Kim. In the original series, another backup transporter officer named Chief Kyle was played by John Winston. You guys know that, hmm? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> chief Engineer and Lieutenant Kirk aren't on board yet. By the end of the episode, we learned that Lieutenant Kirk, isn't exactly the Kirk you were expecting and I I on my first time, I'm like what the hell yes <laughs> I, and I we're gonna get to that soon but I we all know in season two that you know who is gonna appear yep but more interestingly is the idea that the enterprise leaves spadock without the new chief engineer what the pike era has made something of a joke of being there several chiefs engineers aboard the enterprise under pike's command and discoveries and un- an Obal for Sharon, Pike in number one talk about Louvier being the chief engineer aboard the Enterprise. But in John Maxson's Miller novel, The Enterprise War, we learn that Louvier is just one of the many, many people to occupy the position. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <What's> <laughs> Is the captain too hard? The, ca- the kind of yeah. echoes the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. I can't perform the miracles that I can. <laughs> I know. <laughs> During which the time the show couldn't decide who was the chief engineer. However, by the end of the episode, Hemmer, played by the series regular Bruce Horak, does beam aboard the ship, and as fans will soon see, is very much the chief engineer of Enterprise going forward. Hooray! Let's settle this. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> So Spock uh, references Burnham in and three months. Spock mentions to Pike that it's been out three months since the Did I say three months or three months? Yes. <laughs> I do like mints, but I I meant months since the events of Discovery of season two, which would imply this is two two five eight, or maybe a little bit of that later. Spock says the weight I can I carry for the loss of my sister feels hair heavier. So emotional Vulcans. where did the emotional Vulcans come from, Steve? Yes. <laughs> it's a younger Spock and he's yeah, just not mastered it yet. He's thinking of four and a half out of five or five out of five Horny to Prings. <laughs> Spock says, I miss her too. This refers to Michael Burnham, though they don't speak of her name outright. Geez, cause it's classified. That's a vibe. Yep. <laughs> Good great. So, let's get on to the USS Archer. God, so cool. The ship Una took her first contact mission is called the USS Archer. This is referenced reference to Captain Jonathan Archer, the captain of the U.S. Enterprise nx one in the series Enterprise. Interestingly, the, the Discovery Season 4 premiere revealed as uh, an Archer space dock. Also, there was an, another USS Archer in the 24th century, referenced in Star Trek Nemesis. Make up your minds, people. Yes. to be have been a USS Archer in that giant stargazer led fleet in the beginning of Picard Season 2? Maybe. Yep. <laughs> so let's get into Pike's uh, flash forwards. All of Pike's flash forward in which he sees his own future are directly taken from Discovery Season 2 episode through the Valley of the Shadows. This makes these flashbacks, they're also flash forwards, weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we need to discuss the Klingon moon of Borath. Spock mentioned the Klingon moon of Borath, which is where Pike and his future vision and discovery. Borath was the first introduced in the Next Generation episode, "Rifle Air. At that time, time crystals were not discussed, and Worf was seeking spiritual enlightenment. Spork, re- uh, spork, not Spork, <laughs> Spock references the notion that maybe Pike. I was visiting the monitor. This is how a Vulcan like tries to get to the truth. Yes, <laughs> you know, you Pick raise the religion
1: nine. and then yeah, get yeah. to
2: truth. Yeah, yeah. It's nearly a, a decade away, but Pike puts his accent roughly ten years in the, in his own future. I was like, oh, it's not ten years. It's like nine and a half. Uh-oh. Yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: but this is twenty two fifty eight. It's more like eight years away. Oh no! Right now. The Menagerie happens in 2267 and The Accident in 2266. If you're out there listening to this and you're wondering, what the heck are they talking about? (laughs) Go back to the original series and you you have to. You have to watch The Menagerie. And uh, you have to watch The Cage, too. Yep. Uh, This is super important. But if we say The Accident does not happen until right before The Menagerie in 2266, then... It's nine years, so close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a funny thing. Of all the points in Star Trek chronology, the exact years of the original series have a tiny bit of wiggle room. Thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> right now, Canon tends to agree that Kirk's five year mission was from 2265 to 2270. However, there's a hot second there in the 90s where everyone thought it was like 2264 to 2269. The point is the exact time frame of the motion picture. Their first Star Trek movie has always changed. Uh, Star Trek.com puts the motion picture in 2273, which would only put it three years after the end of Kirk's five year mission. When Charlie seems right, that said, for a while it was thought that the TMP took place in 2271, which is only about one year after the animated surge, which is entirely canon anyway because you know <laughs> they're just cartoons. They're just cartoons. On top of all this, there is only one episode in the original series that takes place in 2265. And that was supposed to be the first year of Kirk's five-year mission, that episode where no man has gone before. What a a great line. Yep. So what's the bottom line here? The exact moment that when Kirk took command of the Enterprise might not necessarily be part of the start of the five-year mission. Uh, I guess. Right. That's wiggle room. Yep. Just because you're a classic enter- uh you're on the classic Enterprise, doesn't mean you're doing a five year mission. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah. Well, we could go around Saturn a few times. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. Why not? Or what's the name of the pleasure planet? I forgot. Risa. <laughs> Risa. Yes. How come you always remember that, Steve? <laughs> I did two My five favorite years. Star Trek place. <laughs> oh yeah, but not back to back, and we know that because there's some non-five-year mission action in which, during the Klingon War and Discovery Season 2, in fact, right now, can put the cage in 2254. I hope you guys are all taking notes on this. which would be close to the end of the Pike's first five-year mission. I'm not sure I want to see that. So, if five-year missions are not the marker we think they are for Kirk and Pike's respective uh, captaincies, then the moment Pike's depth down and kirk took over may have happened much earlier than 2265 and kirk was perhaps the captain of the ncc NCC 1701 enterprise for either a shorter or longer time than we previously assumed yeah don't fill in the blanks for us no (laughs) does that that bother you no no i don't either (laughs) why bring any of this up Well. If Strange New Worlds plays a little fast and loose with the differences between eight years and ten years, just consider we've really only seen like three years of Kirk's five-year mission, and most of that wasn't even shown in order. Yep. Yep. <laughs> However, uh, there is a comic book series out there right now for the rest of the five-year mission that you can pick up at your local comic book store. Awesome. Yeah. You know what else is fascinating, Steve? Spock says, fascinating. The first, the catchphrase is famous and originated in, in the original series episode, The Corbinite Maneuver. This, this stuff is aging me. The yes. first regular <laughs> episode of Star Trek that was filmed after the first two pilots. Did you know the Vulcans invented first contact? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Spock says glibly, as you know, Vulcans invented the first contact. How do you invent?
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> you yeah, had failed so. horribly no. in your first contact cuz you uh, actually made contact in the 50s and in I know, pick one. 2024 yeah. before yeah. actually having first contact. So, yeah, you guys failed at it just as bad as we did. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this refers to the Vulcans making contact with humans in 2063. Make a note of that. As depicted in the film Star Trek First Contact, which was glorious, and subsequently explained in the prequel series Enterprise, what Spock's means is that the Vulcan developed a policy of contact against sentient species only when they developed fast and light travel, (FTL). That rule was later incorporated into the Federation. General Order 1. General Order 1, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock's map and control of the computer and the... Oh, uh, with his hands in the air? Hmm. As Spock shows Pike and Laan a map of worlds in this sector with a warp. Oh, man, I try. I was trying to comb that. Yeah. Look at every little thing. He uses his hands casually to the point on the screen and then changes what's being displayed without touching it. This might seem like a small thing, but actually it's a huge Easter egg that runs the cage. In the first, uh, the original series episode, uh, pilot episode, Spock made various records t- to display on a screen that simply pointed in which 1964 seemed amazing. Yes. Spock's map in this scene also contains the names of several well-known Star Trek plans, including, but not certainly limit two. Sarpodian and from the uh, original series, all our yesterdays, Cardassia, boo, <laughs> Prime from DS9, uh, Bejor from the next generation, DS9, and others. Argus Array, from the next generation. Axeia, from Discovery. Trill, from the next generation, and DS9, and Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Talos, from the original series and, and and others, as we know. Thalos, from DS9, and Beta Niobe, from the original series. Am I done? No, I'm not. No. Nystrom 4, from DS9, Dax. Wolf 359, the next generation, the best of both worlds, which is freaking amazing. Yes. <laughs> Noblia from Enterprise, Azati Prime from Enterprise, Bactory Alpha from Discovery, and D-Space Station K7 from the original series, The Trouble with Tribbles, <laughs> which is freaking amazing. Why I don't have a Tribble on my desk right now, I don't no know. Yeah. <laughs> As well uh, as several as solar planets on the Federation, including Andoria, Vulcan, Sol, Earth, or and Babel. This map is massive, and there's certainly a lot more. Did you see all the little uh, Klingon? Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> they're, they're out there. Yep. Of note, Spock mentions that the Federation is free to make contact with any of these places. This means that the Federation was aware of the Majorians and the Cardassians at least. A hundred years before the events of the next generation in Deep Space Nine. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hurt my brain. As Doctor uh Dr. Mbenga's familiarity with Spock What? Babs Osulkumonkun plays the original series character Doctor Mbenga, played by Booker Bradshaw in only two classic episodes. However, one of these episodes, a private little war, we learn he's something of an expert in Vulcan medicine. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> you must be the only one. It's so not as Bach here could indicate a, a bit of non canon backstory. The novel, The Vulcan Academy Murders by Gene Laura, established that MBEGA worked in an exchange program on Vulcan before joining the Enterprise. Whew. You know, uh, I don't know if we're getting to this, but have you ever gone to the Mojave, Steve? No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is brutal. Yes. I had a car, I was coming back from grad school in California, and back to Massachusetts, and it was so hot my car wouldn't do any more than fifty. That's how hot it was. Wow. It just couldn't do it. Yeah. Not overheating. Yeah. Well, I know. I should have just floored and like, come on, you baby. Yeah. <laughs> nope. So I fell I actually fell for a science and last chance in cold beer, so I pulled over. Was it cold? No. No. Was it the last chance? No. no. <laughs> so let's get on to Nurse Chapel. Is she from a civilian exchange? And Benga says Nurse Chapel is from the civilian exchange, which could indicate she is not actually a Starfleet officer. Yeah, mind blown. By the time of the original series, she was probably part of Starfleet, but she's a civilian at this point, and it could go a long way to explaining why she's still underlining a decade later. The original series episode "What a Little Girl's Made of" tells us Nurse Chapel was in love. With a scientist named Roger Corby, but things didn't work out. Uh, sometime before the start of the show, in meeting Corby is still in Chapel's future in the uh, S N W. Hope you know what that stands for. It stands to reason that they could have derailed her career, with sent her back to Starfleet again or something. Yeah, I guess so. Yep. A little broken heart, you know. She she seems to have an affinity for Spock already. Yes. Did you notice that? Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Dupring may have some uh, (laughs) Oh boy, I don't want to to
0: competition
2: You don't want to be on the wrong side of Dupring No (laughs) (laughs) She's already in top. So classic beaming around from the cage When the transport is used throughout the episode And prominently in (laughs) sickbay Is that the first time we've seen that? Yes, the emergency Medical transport, yes Wow, that's awesome, we hear some old-fashioned sound effects from the original series, but also some of the very first, later, unused sound effects from The Cage. It's a bit of continuity, what sounded like uh, a mistake, which is now part of the real-deal sound. I know, it's so cool. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I watched it three times. I, I think four is coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Discovery Wormhole, number one, refers to zero point. Saying it's where we and the screw, the screw, yeah, the screw of (laughs) discovery opened up a wormhole in the future. The turning of the screw. This references the the events on discovery season two in which such sweet sorrow part two. In that episode, the enterprise provided cover while discovery jumped 930 years into the future. Who does that? Yeah. (laughs) So that. uh, at this point, we, I think we should. Uh, this is all depressing. The Second Civil War, eugenics. Yes. <laughs> right? You know, I, I've always said to myself, I, I would like to live a Star Trek future because, you know, awesome. Yes, but in a Star Trek future, we have all the pain to get there. Right. Ugh. Yes, I know. Uh, just, just, just beam me to the future. Yeah. <laughs> <part>. <laughs> Please let jump me to the future. Yeah. As Pike recounts the history of Earth, he's referencing events that, of course would be in our future? Well, uh, kind of. Pike seems to rule. Ro- I don't know. It doesn't seem that far off, Steve. No, it doesn't. Uh, Pike seems to rule the competence of the Second Civil War, the Eugenic Wars, and World War Three all into one time period. Pretty close. Why not? If you're, <laughs> you're going to destroy yourself, you might as well go for it. Yeah. There's a slight retcon that Star Trek Canada has been grappling with since the original series in Space Seed. Spock mentioned the eugenic wars that were fought in the 1990s. Skip that part. Yeah. And that was the last, episode, last of your so-called world wars. Thanks, Spock. However, in the next generation, World War III and the eugenic wars were posited as separate events. Then again, Spock admitted in Space Seed that their records of this time were pretty spotty. Yeah, that's I would think so, yeah. That's you what he set the world on. The right? world, yeah, you're going to yeah. lose some records. Interestingly, Star Trek Picard has recently grappled with these two inconsistencies. Also, in Season 2, Picard even mentions how incomplete the records from that period are. Oh, that's convenient. Yes. Not that I I blame them, but... So what's the takeaway? Well, at this point, Star Trek canon is kind of throwing up its hands and saying a lot of bad stuff happened in the mid to late 21st century on Earth. And we're not sure what to call it anymore. How about Doomsday? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, at least it wasn't the end. Doubling down, calling uh, in the prime uh, directive. April tells Pike and the crew that General Order One will now become the prime directive. <laughs> nice, nice of them to catch up with everything we always knew it as. Yes. Pike scoffs at this, saying the term will never stick. Of <laughs> course, an inside joke. Yeah, way to go, Pike. I guess you don't know everything about the future. No. The prime directive was first mentioned in the original episode, "The Return of Arshans." However, in Disco Era, it's mostly referred to as General Order 1. So, everyone's in as the entrance of the mustache, also known as Sam Kirk. (laughs) Enter the mustache. I think Metallica should write a song about that. Yeah. At the very last minute of the episode, we learned that Lieutenant Kirk, who was mentioned earlier, was not Jim Kirk. What? But (laughs) instead, his brother Sam Kirk, now played by Dan Janot. Pike asked Sam about his family, which is a reference to episode Operation Annihilate. That's, that's how you want to reparate somebody's family. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we learned that Jim had a brother who was married with at least one child. In Operation Annihilate, Samuel Kirk appeared only as a corpse played by a mustache of William Shatner. was so weird. Yes. But like in that one scene from the original story, this Sam Kirk is also rocking the stash. Prior to this point, we never knew Sam Kirk served on the Enterprise, nor do we know that Spock met Jim's brother before he met Jim. Oh, yes. <laughs> Mind blown. Mind blown. The role reversal is so obvious. Spock will be Sam Kirk's superior, even though much later Jim Kirk will be Spock's superior. <laughs> uh, no wonder the prank's so horny. <laughs> <laughs> will say the name Kirk in Star Wars ever feel the Sam again? No. <laughs> With this reintroduction reintroduction of Sam Kirk, Star Trek is certainly putting the string firmly into the strange new world. Yeah, that, that I, I tell you, they got me. They got me, yeah. Steve. I'm like Kirk, 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 and it was coming in the series. I heard series uh, season, season two. two yeah, are they playing with us. Yeah, as yes, they did. They are playing with
1: us. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, you hear the last name mentioned. and I didn't catch the first name. I was going. All right, what the hell is going
2: on here? I know. Thank you. <laughs> oh, for being
1: with Sam! Us. Oh,
2: hoots! <laughs> <laughs> so, in the in the Chris Evans timeline, also known as what's it called again, Steve? Kelvin? No, no, that's not it. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> the Kelvin timeline. When uh, Jim Kirk steals the Corvette, right? He's speeding down the highway. And he flies by his brother. That's his brother. Yeah, Sam <laughs> Kirk. Like, hey, yeah, ha- see ya. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So this guy is is definitely in the history of Star Trek. Yep. Can't wait to. Uh, no, no, no doubt they're going to blow our minds some more with some more revelations. Can't wait. Yes.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he's a. What was it? The when Picard chose a different when he didn't stab, fight the Gnosticans and he was just a junior yes. officer Yeah. <laughs> if this Sam Kirk's going to be that type of character or if he's going to be just like his brother <laughs> Pike will go oh, oh
2: dear gosh. lord <laughs> who knows uh, I, maybe this is me but I sense a tragedy yeah <laughs> maybe it'll be Sam
1: Kirk that ends up in Pike's place on Talos Four. Oh wow! Well, wouldn't that would that be, be a twist of fate? Yes, it would be. <laughs> Don't <should> warn him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we do have some feedback. As Ooh. always, our friend Fred from the Netherlands has managed to send his thoughts on the premiere episode. So let's hear what he thought about it.
3: Hit it. Hello, Steve and Dave, and all listeners to the Fangirl Zone. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 1. I was very uh, much and pleasantly surprised to see in, in one of the very first scenes, Melanie Scrofano as Captain Battelle, obviously Captain Pike's girlfriend. That of course gives good memories, Steve, you and me, visiting in 2019 a Winona Earp convention in St. Louis and meeting her. I think they did a marvelous job in their visuals and their, let's say, Star Trek equipment. It looks new, but if you look for instance at the model of the communicator or the model of a shuttlecraft, really, really connected to the original series. I think they do it better here than in Star Trek Discovery. Although Star Trek Discovery up till season 3 is of course in the sense of the timeline before this. Talking about Discovery, I think the connection here, the references to Discovery is subtle and nice and not too much. What I do think is too much is the amount of times that Pike sees himself die or sees that damaged face of himself, it's a little bit too much for me. It also connects to the original series, because I get the impression that in the five-year mission setting, this will be also story of the week things. So for instance, now the first contact thing with Una there, I think that's a story of the week. I wonder how much they will keep that up. I also wonder what they will do with this Samuel Kirk obviously the brother of James T. Kirk, what his role will be. And last remark, I really love that Nurse Chapel, especially when she says, I'm going to mess with your Gino. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands.
2: Oh, Fred, I think someone wants to mess with your Gino, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I had a feeling that as soon as she said that, Fred would uh, definitely be one that was uh, all interested in uh, Nurse Chapel and yeah. what she's doing,
2: that's for sure. Wow. Fascinating start for that character. Yes, it absolutely oh, I just was. Said fascinating sorry. Yeah. And,
1: Fred, I really believe that we aren't going to be seeing many of those flash-forwards going forward. I think his talk with Laon prompted him to actually realize that he's got to live his life come hell or high water. And so I think, yeah, we got a lot of it in this first episode, but I don't think we're going to see much more of it going forward. Now, it may pop up from time to time. But I don't think it'll be near the amount that we've seen in this episode. So.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, as Fred alluded to, this is a non-serialized uh, yes, season. Yes, it is. These are all independent episodes, which is interesting, and, and a callback to the original series. Yep. There uh, there are some things, of course, in the character interaction where they get to know each other and become serialized to a point. Right. But the storyline is something new every week, which is, okay, I'll say it, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what is This is my dark side. I wouldn't mind seeing uh, constant references. I mean, it's like PTSD, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't want them to overdo it. Right, you're like Jesus Christ! Get this guy off the bridge, you know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't have that. You can't have that. Right. Still, got to be the one, captain. But yeah, in yeah. Quiet moments when yeah, there has to be trigger. Yeah, be I, I would. Let's see how many episodes in this season do we know? Is it I eight think or it's ten? Ten. I think it's yeah. ten. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So we had our first, and I would say I wouldn't mind. Uh, three might be too much. Yeah, no, three. Three more references right. throughout the uh, season. Season, You can't dismiss it. No, you can't. All right, well, we'd love to
1: hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback, be it email or audio, to contact us at fangirlzone.com. And Fred, we, as always, we appreciate your feedback and
2: looking forward to hearing your thoughts on episode two.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm sure the collective of, of that is Fred will have some. Yes. <laughs> looking forward to it. As uh, Steve just said, you can go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you'll find several ways to contact us via email or through social media. At Twitter, he said, Sawyer Steve, and I'm at the real ID Dave. And of course, there's at Jetta256 for the podcast. Please
1: review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, as there are, are a lot of Star Trek Strange New World podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and hope you like our podcast, and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts.
2: I think those other podcasts are circling around the wrong planet, Steve. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Lost
1: in the Delta Quadrant?
2: (laughs) Yep. Oh, it's going to take a long time to get there. Q's not there to help you. Yes. (laughs) The second episode is on May 12th, and is titled Children of the Comet. So until then, remember. This is Chief Engineer Steve. I'd like that.
1: But I really hope you're not. You've got better places to be. That's <laughs> not is, possible. <laughs> <yes>.
2: <laughs> this is Shirt Dave, still not promoted. And I, I have to tell you, I lost my job as a uh, extra. They got chased down the hallway by Nurse Chapel. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I that had a problem with me. I kept falling and demanding mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <laughs> Job lost. <laughs> <sighs>